Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Appeal Podcast. I am your host, Mark Salcedo. Alongside me, I have... Kelsey Loizel. That sounded so sensual. Did it? Yes. I aim to please. The you audience? know, I had to make it extra because you didn't introduce us <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on our bonus episode. Yeah, uh, we released a bonus episode on uh, this past Monday, and I forgot to introduce us, but you guys already know who we are. I mean, <laughs> if you don't, it's in the show notes. But they want to hear us say our names. Yeah, you're right. Well, because like, if we're, if we're recording... And they're listening. They're like, who is these people? Who is these, these people? people? Exactly. Who is these people? Yeah. What was that thing you said yesterday? Uh, is you is or is you ain't? Yeah. To be or not to be. And yeah. then translation, is you is or is you ain't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we want to welcome you guys back to the Real Pill Podcast. Um, we took a little bit of a break, uh, but we are back to give you the film news, some reviews. Uh, and have a little bit of fun with uh, HBO's uh, Watchmen. Uh, yeah, so this week we're going to do, like I said, news. Our recent review will be Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Uh, we will go over episode 7 of we of The Watchmen, HBO's uh, hit show based off the comic book. And our geriatric cinematic for this week is 1982's Death Trap. Um, we got a lot to say uh, pretty much about both movies. We do. Um, We have a lot to say, I think, about Knives Out, but Mm. Death Trap, I cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are in for a treat. If you guys have not seen Death Trap... um, Namely you, James. Yeah, (laughs) namely you, James. Go ahead, pause, go see the movie. It's on Amazon for like $2.99 to rent, uh, but it's a blast. Like, just kind of give you guys a little bit of a teaser. It's a blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to reach us on our social media, uh, we are at uh, we are on Facebook, The Real Appeal, Twitter, The Real Appeal, Instagram by the same name, and contact us on email or Gmail. Fuck you, table. Uh, the Real Appeal at gmail.com. Uh, so we're going to... That's not how it goes. It's fuck your couch, not yeah, fuck <laughs> you, table. Well, <laughs> fuck your table, I guess. <laughs> Uh, so to kind of give you guys a little bit of catch up what we've been doing the past week, uh, we had a little bit of an adventure for Kelsey's birthday. It was birthday. my birthday. Yep, for her birthday weekend. Um, this is a little bit of local inside, but if you guys come down to LA, you guys should definitely check out the Huntington Li- Library. That's what it's called, right? Yes. Yeah, it's in Pasadena. Cool, yeah, it's a cool little library. It's like they have like this beautiful garden and stuff like that. Um, they have an old mansion that was built like in the 1800s or the early 1900s. I think it was the early 1900s. Yeah. You know what's the one thing I found really fascinating about that trip? is um, Their library? The library, yes. But <laughs> the maps that they had laid out. Yeah, it was so funny because <laughs> it was like a reception area where they have like an information desk. Mm-hmm. And they have like a map of the land and then all these transparencies that you could flip off of it. Yeah, so the city st- of Los Angeles and the circling the surrounding areas. Right. So we just looked at the map of just the land and then we're like, oh wow, these are like the original routes that yeah. the native people would take. And then, oh wow, these are the like first rail car routes. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh wow, here's the first highways that ever came into existence. And then yeah. oh 
wow, here's the Metrolink. Like, yeah, it was. <laughs> anybody else would have been like, that's boring. But we were just totally like thrown into this whole thing. Yeah. And I came to this weird conclusion that um, in the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit is based in L.A. or uh, a type of Hollywood. And Eddie Valen wants to stop the judge, you know, spoilers for that movie, from building a freeway through Toontown. But the freeways were eventually built. Mm-hmm. So, where's Toontown? Did they relocate Toontown? Did they kill the tunes? No, they exist in your mind. Mm. That sounds like a really sad story. Yes. <laughs> you don't really think about it like... No. I had a burp oh, away okay. from the mic. Oh, yeah, but you, t- you said it anyways. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> know what happened. Uh, so, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, one thing that was really a lot of fun, uh, how we ended our night, is we checked out the uh, Walt Disney Ki- Walt Disney Concert Hall, the L.A. Phil, and we mm-hmm. checked out this uh, band called the Cinematic Cinematic Orchestra. The first person that was there, we were like, okay, there's this one guy playing music. Yeah. Maybe the other band, is, the other members of the band, are gonna come out. Yeah. And we thought he was Cinematic Orchestra, but his name was Fote. Yeah. Oh my. God. God, like he makes music that I love because it almost gets you into a trance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then the next people that came out, and I remember you posted something on social media like, oh, "Oh, this is Cinematic Orchestra, but it was really uh, Patrick Watson. Yeah. I was like, oh, let me me go ahead and correct that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we checked out Cinematic Orchestra. They've, um, they, it's kind of like a maybe like a trip hop kind of down tempo kind of music, but the music comes off as very cinematic. It does, and they did some. You know what a round is, right? No, what is a? Um, have you ever sang um, "Row Your Boat" and then somebody yeah. else follows after you, and then so you guys are singing the same song but at different oh different pace. Not at a different pace. It's the same pace but different. <laughs> like. Um, after you finish row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, mm-hmm. you move on to the next part and somebody else comes in. Oh, row, and they row, start row, doing row. that. Okay. So that's a round. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They did do something like that. Yeah, with the trumpet. Oh, oh, no. It, I mean, not a trumpet. It was a saxophone. saxophone. Yeah, this dude jumped on the saxophone and he was like going crazy. And then he... They and, were, and you have a pet like, okay... The, I wanted to I want to set this up a little bit more mm. before we go into what he did. Yeah. But anyone who knows anything about a band, yeah. being in a band, you know that there's a pedal that you use if you're using an electric guitar. Yeah, yeah. And this guy was hooked up to one with his saxophone. Yeah, it was just it was just a form just to record the the saxophone, the sound of the saxophone. And also out. like kind of alter the, the sound a little bit. Yeah. And he did that and he would play one tune and then let that tune go and repeat and then jump to another tune. And then he did that, I don't know, maybe like six or seven different times or something like that. And it was kind of trippy because, like, as I was watching it and listening, I was like, what the fuck is this dude doing? Like, it sounds kind of crazy and wonky, but it all came collected, like, perfect. And it was like this, like, if you picture it, it was like this weird transition from one scene to the next scene. And then the next scene was the rest of the band doing their song. It was like this really cool, like, perplexed transition, but it, like, it was, like, all part of the plan and it worked out, like, perfectly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That guy's badass. Yeah, that, for real. <laughs> and then this guy named Moses, he was awesome. Was that the guitar player? The, the no, that dude? was the, the last guy singer. 
The last guy singer. He had like white hair, Moses. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that dude. Holy shit. That he came dude. came on with a cape. Yeah, it was this, this um, what his name is like, his name is like Moses Isley or something like that. Um, he has like a very angelic voice. Yeah, it was really true. Uh, Moses Isley, that's the planet from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, this dude came out and he started singing like this operatic kind of music that went like perfect for what Cinematic Orchestra was trying to do. And I was I was straight caught caught in a trance, like yeah. listening to his music. Um, I can't I, I, I can't remember the dude's name. I'm like looking it up right now because I, I want to give that guy like mad credit for what uh, what skills he had. Was cool. There was a. Um a female that was singing too. And she had a very, uh, deep, like sensual husky voice, Mm. right? Like it's not that airy breathy, like light sound that you're used to from females or even like a powerhouse, but Mm. in the higher octaves. No, she had a very, like, it was a deeper voice for sure. Okay, so the guy, okay, to kind of give you guys a better idea, it's new jazz and electronic music. And the dude on the saxophone, his name is Tom Chant. Uh, he was the one who jumped on the saxophone. And I'm not seeing the lady's name on here on the album. She was good though, but I had an issue with her at some parts. What was that? Uh, I don't feel like she was able to control her voice that well. She had an amazing voice, mm-hmm. but she just didn't always control it very well. She sounded amateurish. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the guy, the guy who we're talking about, the apparatus kind of singer, his name is Moses Sumney. Sumney. That dude was fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was like it was a really great show. We had a blast. Like it was, it was our first time. It's funny because I I've been living in in and near around L.A. all my life, but I've never been to the L.A. Phil. Mm-hmm. And this is like the first time. Like holy shit, I gotta yeah, we gotta come here more often. Yeah, it's totally awesome. Ten out of ten would recommend. <laughs> <What'd you think? laughs> ten out of ten would recommend. <laughs> ten out of ten. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so from there we're just gonna go ahead and because uh, I know you guys are tired of hearing all our personal shit. Like get to the fucking news, Mark. Okay, we will. We will. Hold on. Hold on. Don't be so rushed. Don't be. All right. So anyway, a little bit of sad news. Uh, Missy Science Theater 3000 has been canceled by Netflix. Um, Again. Again. (laughs) So for all you people who don't know, uh, I'm going to abbreviate the name. Missy Science Theater 3000, people who are fans of that, we call it MST3K. Um, It's a show where it's a guy and a couple robots and they just are doing commentary comedian comedic commentary on bad movies it started out on like like public access or cable access like in canada i think Mm -hmm. and then it went to comedy central was on there for several years and then it went to um sci-fi for a few seasons and then went away and it kind of continued furthermore in the form of like riff tracks and I think another one's called like Cinematic Titanic or something like that. Oh, uh huh. And then from there, it jumped to Netflix. Um, it was produced by Joel Hodgson. Hodgson? He produced uh, like the first, I don't know, like four or five seasons or something like that. Uh, he was Joel. He was the human Joel um, who was alongside of Tom Servo and Crow T Robot. Uh, after that, I think the dude's name was Mike Nelson became the new host mm-hmm. 
And then after that, comedian Jonah Ray, who we've seen live uh, at one of his shows. Um, it was that one show that we went to. Don't call me Al or some shit. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's Jonah Ray. Jonah Ray. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. He was fucking funny. Yeah, and he became the host, and they did it for two seasons, but unfortunately, Netflix canceled it. And they, like they have a habit of getting canceled, but they but somehow it always comes back. Um, so Netflix decided to cancel it. Uh, Joe Hudson had reported had tweeted that uh, if you didn't see the backer update. I announced today that MSTK is not doing a third season for Netflix. It's not the end of MSTK. It's just the end of the first chapter of Breaking Back, the show. And Jonah Ray, being the funny man that he is, says, So Netflix decided to not do another season of MSTK. We are off. We have to get down in Lilyhammer while the OA helps us take it one day at a time. Those are shows that got canceled by uh-huh. Netflix. Ah! <laughs> uh, we will be in a group therapy with... Tuka and Birdie, uh, Jesse Jones, and Lady Dynamite. The sessions will be run by Gypsy with Naomi Watts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm bothered. I, I am saddened by this. At the same time, um, MST3K, MST3K still lives on through like Shout TV, through Pluto TV, through like Twitch channel where they run every episode like constantly yeah and of course netflix still owns like the two seasons that they did right um so i i it's like i said they're down but i highly doubt they're out they mm-hmm. i think they will come back because it always it always somehow comes back and it's funny shit yeah it's like, great and stuff. there's lots of stuff out there that they haven't covered that's bad oh phew. yeah they actually used to start off with just like really bad like instructional videos and stuff like that <laughs> like how to like how to cook a meal johnny dun, 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 dun. and they would just like rag on it that. would be funny if they did the infomercials oh shit do they still do infomercials today or yes okay that'd be great yeah i think but i think they got, they've stepped away from that and now they've kind of done just bad movies they need to come back to it that's true that's true um I don't know. I, I hope they're going to come back. I know Jonah Ray is like really adamant about coming back because it was a dream of his to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And the dude's, I've met him, met him one time at a con. The dude's really fucking nice. So I honestly hope like the show comes back. Yeah. So yeah. But uh, from, a, from bad news to good bad? Good news? bad? Good bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong release date is pushed back to November of next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner Brothers and Legendary's Godzilla vs. Kong, um, they've already hit some delays, and now it's gonna be on my birthday next oh, year. I got your birthday present already <laughs> set up. No, I will hate you. Because you love that fucking Godzilla movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> It was previously dated for March 13th of, mm. you know, this coming year. So, um... So, your birthday's on the 20th? Yeah. Oh, my God. They did push it back for you. What? <laughs> they did. No. How else could they They were like, known? no, it's too close to the Ides of March, and we don't want to jinx it. So, you know... The Ides of March? The Ides of March. What's that? You never heard of Beware the Ides of March? I have no idea what that is. <sighs> okay. Quick history lesson for you. Okay. Julius Caesar spoke to, you know, the 
it's not a sage. It's whatever the fucking people were that would do the tell them the future. What oh, are those like, called? Uh, like the... the Oracles? Oracles, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I'm going to say like the witches or something. <laughs> um, and he... I think that's who told him that he was going to be murdered. On November 20th? No. Oh. <laughs> In March. Okay. Oh, okay. And I don't know... I don't know the full story, but all I know is that it was the Ides of March. They kept telling him, beware the Ides of March. Mm-hmm. And March 15th rolls around, mm. and Brutus stabs him in the back. Mm. So now it's a thing. They say, beware the Ides of March. Oh, okay. So maybe maybe that's why um, that's why Warner Bros. and Legendary kind of pushed it out of March, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, beware the Ides it's of March. It's totally that, and not because they're having technical issues or yeah. any kind of delays. Yeah, they don't, they don't really go into detail on why. It got pushed back. My guess is because the um, the last what was it called? Godzilla King of Monsters, King of the Monsters. Yeah, it didn't do gangbusters like they thought it should have been. Uh huh. And I mean, the writing was. Be- I mean, uh, go back and listen to our, our review of it. But I can see why they try to push it back. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they they're doing some script touch ups or they're thinking about going in a different way. I'm like super disappointed that they're coming out with another one. Mm-hmm. Because they're putting really good people in it, right? So they've yeah. got Millie Bobby Brown's coming back. I absolutely love her. Um, Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, Alexander Skarsgård. Um, they're all going to come and It's like a crossover event. Yeah, it's King Godzilla versus King Kong. So it's just going to be, you know, it, sound, it is what it sounds like. But I just, I feel like... That one was so bad, and what are you going to do to make it better? Um, I don't know. It's, it seemed like it was like they they had this thing going, and they were like, yeah, let's do... I think, from from my understanding, they did this during, like, at a time where all these studios were trying to create, like, a cinematic universe. And they didn't plan it out well enough, like Warner Brothers did, you know, with, with uh, DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're kind of like, well, we got to fucking finish it now, you know, because otherwise we're just throwing money away. I don't think so. I mean, well, like, you know, they've already I think got... if you make another film, you're throwing more money away. Well, they've already put money into production because, like, you know, these movies are made, especially a movie of this scale, they're made like one to two years before, you know, the release date because they got to make sure they got to get the special oh, effects so you're correct. not saying, oh, we got to make it. You're saying, oh, we got to finish it. We got to finish. Yeah. Otherwise, we're, we just burn through this money. The money's money. already been spent. Yeah, exactly. Um, damn, Alexander Sarsgaard. <sighs> Why is he in this movie? I don't know. Maybe, now, you know, Tarzan comes in. <laughs> Tarzan fighting. Well, it is an ape, so. Yeah. A big ape. And they probably team up. And try to bring down Godzilla and have their asses handed to them. <laughs> the end. That's the movie, guys. The I end. just spoiled it for you. I know. And then Paperboy comes in. Paperboy. Paperboy. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Yo, Brian, what is this, Brian, Brian Tari Henry? Like, dude, you're a dope actor. But, I mean, to me, you'll always be, you'll always be Paperboy. <laughs> so, anything else to add to that? Uh, No. Nope. It's coming out on my birthday. On your birthday. Got a birthday idea for you. No, you don't. Gonna see Godzilla for your birthday. Don't listen to everybody because, you know, I'm going to tell him I'm going to murder him, but I don't mean it. But people are listening. 
Fuck. Put the knife down. <laughs> okay, all right. Enough of that little fun. So, uh, so now we're gonna go ahead and jump into our recent review of Knives Out. Harlan started out with a rusty Smith Corona and built himself into one of the best-selling mystery writers of all time. 30 languages, over 80 million copies sold. You guys fans? I mean, I don't do much fiction reading myself. Big fan. I'm a big fan. Who is that guy? Uh, Mr. Blanc is a private investigator of great renown. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. You're famous. The night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. And your son, Ransom, did he attend as well? Yes, but he left early. I think Linda was upset. Walt would get a little Irish courage in him. He'd get into it with Harlan. What? Richard said what? Are you baiting me, detective? Attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death. You mean if someone killed him? You think one of us, one of his family, Walt, Walt. killed him? Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. Okay, and we're back. So that was Knives Out, directed by Ryan Johnson, the man behind... Did you put your hand out like it was a knife or something? Yes. Okay. Uh, Just be glad I was trying to decide between shing or bacha. So you're going to bust a Lightning McQueen out. No, that's Kachow. Oh, ka- oh, I'm sorry. My bad. Kachow. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, it's directed by Ryan Johnson, the man behind Brick, Looper, uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, uh, written by Ryan Johnson, uh, starring uh, Chris Evans, uh, Anna de Armas, Armas? Anna de Armas. Armas. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, Catherine uh, Langford. Langford. Langford, thank you. Uh, the IMDb <laughs> synopsis is uh, a detective investigates. Uh, wait, <laughs> you didn't put Daniel Craig on here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it also has Daniel Craig you, in it, you too. You Alec Baldwin? Oh, shut up. <laughs> uh, so, uh, sorry. So, the synopsis is a detective investigates the death of a uh, pederetic? Patrician? Patriarch. Patriarch. God. <laughs> of an. Eretric, eccentric, eccentric, competitive family. Combative. Combative. God, I'm on stupid mode today. (laughs) Anyway, so, and Daniel Craig is in it too, but his name is escaping me right now. You know what? I will look it up. You will look it up. Uh, so yeah, this is Ryan Johnson's uh, Who Done It film. Uh, several interviews, he says he's been inspired by uh, Christopher, A- Christa- Christine, Christine Agatha, Christine of Agatha, Christy Agatha, Christy Agatha. Wow, I'm really on stupid mode today. Holy shit! <laughs> uh, anyway, but like Clue, Gosford Park, uh, Sleuth, Death Trap. So it's like this Who Done It kind of story. Benoit Blanc. Yes, Daniel Craig plays Benoit Blanc. <laughs> Says it like that. Uh, so yeah, this is the Real Pill Podcast, and I'm acting uh, pretty dumb. Which is pretty normal. Pretty normal. So Kelsey, before we jump into the spoilers, what did you think about this movie? <laughs> Knives <laughs> Out. <laughs> um, I thought it was going to be more fun than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that it tried to be really clever and maybe it tried a little too hard. Mm-hmm. 
Um, some of the acting in it was really good, though. Yeah. I was really happy to see Ana de Armas. Um, you yeah, actually yeah. think that my daughter looks like her? She does look like her. Uh, in certain, my little one. Yeah, in certain lights she looks. She, your daughter. She, my daughter look, has huge eyes like her. I think and like that's the same hair color. Yeah, I think and that's like why. a little face. I think that's why I'm, I'm seeing the comparison. Yeah. Um, it's. I'm super distracted by Daniel Craig's performance, and I'll tell you why in the spoiler section. Not that it's a big spoiler, but I just mm-hmm. he's distracting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and <laughs> the table has the a lot to table. say, okay? The table is the third member of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know there, like, there's lots to say about it, but it's just... It's going to be very spoilerific because... It, it's spoilerific, and also it's one of those things where it's like, you can't pick it apart technically so you have to really think about what the issues are Mm -hmm. because it's technically a sound film yeah but it doesn't hit the thriller points that it should or the comedic points that it should Mm -hmm. um not even really the originality really okay yeah okay um so uh i'm a huge huge ryan johnson fans uh, fans (laughs) I'm you're, a huge Ryan you're Johnson. You're more than one person. I'm more guy. than one person. Right, Mark? Yes, Mark. Cool, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Bye, Mark. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm a huge Ryan Johnson fan. Um, it's Ever since watching Brick, I'm like, whatever that dude makes, I will watch it without hesitation, you mm-hmm. know? Um, despite of what you think about The Last Jedi, I think he, I think he elevated that franchise. I know there's I like a, that movie. Yeah, I know, but like there's several people out there who are just ragging on him who are just like he made a shitty star like, yo, okay, whatever. That's just your opinion. That just made me think of the, the post. Oh yeah, just stupid <laughs> little post. I just, anyway, anyway. So um going into Knives Out, I was like, cool's Ryan Johnson, I'm gonna love this film. Straight up I'm gonna love this film. Even the trailer made it really fun. A lot of um Critics are saying it's like one of the best movies of the year. You'll have a blast. I'm seeing several critics on Twitter who's like, I've watched it a second, third time and everything. Um, Unfortunately, I'm not one of those critics who are on board. I did like it, but it kind of like if you're when you leave the film and you really start picking apart like the plot and like how the murderer came up with this plan and and enacted the plan and everything, it Mm -hmm. seemed a little too perfect um like i don't know like like too perfect in the sense that like if one small thing went wrong the plan was just falling apart and he like the the he or she you know we don't want to say who the murderer is we're going to talk about that further in spoilers but as soon as like that whole reveal happens you're just like okay that really doesn't make sense and you that you person you murderer got really fucking lucky doing what you did yeah not just that, but it's they upfront kind of tell you who is responsible for the person's death. Mm. And then you sort of go through this thing like, okay, well, you told me this person died and I don't even know who he is, so why do I care? And also, you told me that this person did it and now we're going through trying to find out who really did it, even though we know who did it. Yeah, like he, what Johnson tried to do, he he tried to do what, um, I, I want to say what 
Death Trap did, where they reveal who the murderer, not who the murderer is, how the person died exactly, and they he tried to add an extra layer of like of a why, and it's not it's not as everything seems, but it's I don't know it kind of like he didn't it make falls it flat. Yeah, he didn't make it compelling enough. I didn't I didn't go like when the when that part happened because it happens maybe in the middle of the movie mm-hmm. where you find out like a little bit of truth what happened in the event. But by that time, I was just kind of like, all right, so just go ahead and tell me what's going to happen. Just tell me, like, what your, what the end game was. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to crawl and, like, find, find the clues because there are several times where he's, like, Brian Johnson's, like, hitting you over the head with com- some of the clues. Like, hey, this is it. Hey, this is it. And mm-hmm. he's almost, like, he's almost playing it as if the audience is stupid. Yeah. Which I, which I don't like when writers do that, when they play the audience like if they're stupid. Right. You know, he- let us figure it out and let us put the piece together and then when everything comes apart then let us go back to find out what what we missed right and he kind of didn't really do that so well yeah either we figure it out because you want us to figure it out or you're clever and we don't figure it out and mm. we're amazed by it yeah exactly like oh like oh i would have never thought of that yeah um but as in the performance um uh i will pretty much echo what kelsey said the performance is really amazing um michael shannon Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, like all these people who were in this movie, he got a star-studded cast in this movie. I mean, I love watching uh, Lakeith Stanfield in anything because he's just, like this really weird guy. He does these really interesting roles, mm-hmm. um, but everybody's really on point. And what Kelsey said about Daniel Craig, it's kind of I kind of have to say the same thing because it, some of it's it's his accent because he has a he has a southern accent mm-hmm. and it's very Foghorn Leghorn ish. To the point where, like, I expected the fucking little chicken hawk to show up and be like, what's going on with the chickens? You know, and everything. Uh, <laughs> Actually, he started talking, and the very first thing that came out of my mouth, I don't even know if you heard me, but I was like, all right, Alec Baldwin, Jesus. <laughs> I actually said that. I'm still confused that. by that. The he, whole Alec Baldwin thing. He sounds like how when Alec Baldwin lets a southern accent come uh, out. Oh, okay. I don't think I've ever heard Alec, Alec Baldwin do a southern accent. Really? I've, I've just heard him just talk like very low and raspy like that. No, I've heard him. He do sounds just like that. Mm, okay. All right. Plus, uh, you know, Daniel Craig looked all fucking bloated and everything. That like, was one thing that weirded me out. I was like, why is he bloated? Like, why is he? It looked, he looked like, he looked like the suits were uh, suffocating him. Or holding in his contents. And if he took the suit off, he'd liquefy or something. Yeah, just, just pour <laughs> out of it. Um, yeah, so uh, we're going to have to go ahead and jump into spoilers. Because we really want to, like, take a deep dive in what worked and what didn't work. It's not like we totally hated the film. We did like it. But, you know, there are some issues that... You know, it's kind of really harboring it from being like a really perfect film. So um, if you don't want to be spoiled and you want to just go skip ahead, we'll give you guys a spoil bump, spoiler, spoiler bumper. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then you can just jump ahead. Uh, I don't know, probably like maybe like 20 minutes or something like that. So uh, here's your spoiler right about now. So now we are in the spoiler section. I will let you lead, Kelsey. <laughs> I'll I'll let you lead this last this one time. You let me lead this one time. Mm-hmm. How very progressive of you. 
Well, yeah, I'm a progressive individual. Hmm. I think they did a good job of the character Marta Cabrera, who was played by Ana de Armas, Mm -hmm. being friends with the older gentleman. His name's not on here, is it? Oh, Oh, that's Christopher Plummer. Yeah, Christopher Christopher Plummer. Plummer. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of weird because she's really young and he's really old, but they really go into detail of why they're friends. Yeah. Um, I think it's weird that... She's his nurse, right? So just to give you a, like, kind of an idea of what, what the story is about so I could tell you what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is he gets murdered or commits suicide. No one can really figure out what it is, right? The police are about ready to say it's a suicide, and then here comes Foghorn Leghorn, <laughs> Dan. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Um saying, well, somebody hired me because they said it is a It's murder. a murder, yeah. So, uh, which in my mind right now, I just put two and two together. How would someone know for a fact that it's a murder unless they did it? Well, Chris, well, the, the murderer, the murderer, it's Chris Evans. And he, that's, that's where it starts getting convoluted. Because he's implying that Chris Evans knew at at one point he knew that, oh, she must have murdered him because my plan was this, this, and this. And it went the other way. Right. Um, And then that's when, like I said, that's when it starts getting like really, it starts getting kind of over the place. It starts making things kind of fit too perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, His whole plan was that he was going to switch two medications that he takes. Um, one of them was um, Toradol. Mm-hmm. The other one was morphine. Morphine, yeah. He switched them. And they both look the same. So she, uh, his nurse, Martha, she gave him the medicine and then realized, oh, I think I gave you the wrong one. If I don't get the ambulance here in 10 minutes, you're going to die. Yeah, if I don't give you like this type of... Uh medicine that's going to fight the overdose of morphine i gave you because she essentially gave him like a what 100 milligrams of morphine yeah and she's like if i don't give you this you're gonna die or if the ambulance don't get here you don't you're gonna die right so then comes like this whole like oh my god so she's yeah she searched for it and searched for it. she couldn't find it in her medicine bag and so he's like okay you're my best friend uh my will's already taken care of i'm an old guy yeah he doesn't um, he doesn't tell her that but yeah he he kills himself so that she doesn't get in trouble for killing him. Yeah. Um, so, of course, um, he also tells her, like, you know, all these steps to follow so that she doesn't get caught, which is kind of weird. Yeah, he came up with he came up with a way for her to get away really fast, like like 15 seconds flat. Yeah. Which was, I get it, I get he is a, mis- he was a mystery writer, a thriller writer and everything, but like, yo, like, it's got to the point where like, did you plan this to happen? Yeah. You know, it was like really <laughs> weird. And yeah, she like does this thing, she, and she like, she gets away with the help of Christopher Plummer's character, uh, Harlan Throm- Thrombe. Thrombe. Yeah, Thrombe. 
and uh, his will is read, and come to find out, she it, she inherits everything: his business, his money, the house, everything. And the rest of the family is not thrilled by that because they're not getting anything. Yeah, they're not getting anything, which that part I did like because the family are fucking assholes. Yeah, one hundred percent. I like. I don't know. I don't know what everybody did, but they must have been like, yo, we get to play assholes. I'm down for this. <laughs> <laughs> like, everybody's an asshole. There's even, like, this really funny joke where, like, they're kind of, like, ragging on um, Don Johnson's and Jamie Lee Curtis' son, uh, Jaden Martell. Um, they're calling him, like, an alt-right neo-Nazi and stuff like that, which it makes it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so they do a little bit of social commentary. But they don't like beat you over the head with it, right? Like they actually make you laugh, but not yeah. like not like oh my god, I'm offended because my views are being stepped on or anything like that. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that part. I did enjoy. Um. So yeah, it goes to the acting, right? Mm. So yeah, that was really good. It's just like the story, though. It's not good. Mm. It's just not. You've got you've got him coming up on the fly with a plan so that she doesn't end up going to jail for his death and then mm. she's got this weird disorder that she can't lie yeah. or she throws up yeah now see i i i didn't have a problem with that the first one or two times they did it but yeah. it becomes a running gag where it's become it becomes overused mm. and that was one of the things that i was just like you were just killing like like that, that is a great idea. That is, I thought that was a great idea, but just the fact that they were just he like he overused it really fucking fast. Yeah, so. um, and then you know she's trying to figure out what exactly is going on because something doesn't seem right. And then that detective is awful. Who um, Daniel Craig's character? The, yeah, he's like I I don't solve the murder. But, I just wait for the clues to drop to my feet. Mm-hmm. Well, the the cool. I guess they kind of they, they, they eventually did. they eventually did. But um, I will give him credit that he knew, um, he knew immediately that Martha was not the murderer. He just didn't know how exactly she wasn't the murderer. Right. Which I'll give him credit for that. Um, yeah. But so like, like it's weird because Chris Evans' character Ransom, who plays his grandson, who's essentially the one who caused the medication to be switched and everything and he enacted this plan like we got like a level of intelligence that they didn't even really tap into Mm -hmm. like you kind of thought that he was just kind of like this playboy who used up all this money and he was a dick and he was a dick but there was no idea that like oh this dude he might be smart you know he eventually ended up becoming uh smarter almost as smart as his grandfather um and they try to explain their levels of intelligence through like a board game. Mm-hmm. But like you don't get that until like near the end, which it was just like, oh, I guess this dude's really smart after all. Yeah. Which, you know, that, that, that's, the, that, that's the one thing that really bothered me. They never gave us a clue that he was that he could have actually pulled off this plan. Yeah. So. Um, and there's this whole weird thing that goes on where the family's basically attacking Martha because they figured out she's going to get everything in the will. Mm-hmm. And they're like. Some of them are threatening her. Some of them are bargaining with her. And then they have that really cool handicam shot where it's like all of a sudden you're at her per- her point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, after she finds out like, so she's getting all this money. Yeah, so you really feel what she's going through. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden he comes out of nowhere. Um, 
Chris Evans' character, Ransom, comes out of nowhere and his car is like, hop in. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I guess I have nowhere else to go because her car wouldn't start. Yeah, which that has it started okay before. Yeah. So <laughs> and after. <laughs> you know, forced forced plot forwardness. Yeah, forward uh plot momentum. And so she trusts him and everything, and then he's like going with her through these paces of things that he's manufacturing, like mm. he ends up telling her, Oh, why don't you check your email? Oh, there's an email. Yeah. Then they go down to the medical examiner's office. Oh, it was on fire. Okay. Yeah, which is like he ended up he ended up causing, but it's just like why would you even waste the time to go down there? Yeah. And the only thing I could think was she he wanted her to be seen by the cops. Mm-hmm. But he was with her, so they would see him too. Yeah. And then they ended up chasing them and then she was gonna miss her ten o'clock deadline. Yeah. To see whoever was leaving her the notes, even though it was him, but mm. she didn't know that. Yeah. It, it was just like a little... Too convenient. So a lot of it was really convenient. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just bothered by it. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, while while we were watching it, we were actually like really... We were really involved because like while you're watching, you will become really involved in this movie. It is a good watch. It's just the biggest issue is when you leave and you really start thinking about the plot and how things ended up happening. You start thinking like that's a little too incon- that's a little too convenient. That's a little too perfect. That's a little. Yeah. It suffers from the atomic blonde issue, but not as bad. Yeah, not as bad. Yeah. Um. So I mean. My as uh, my opinion on on just like the whole film and Johnson's directing, um, it's like I, I see it as a small misstep, but I don't even think he sees it as a small, small misstep because, like I said, a lot of critics are giving it high praise. I think it's like ninety six percent on like Rotten Tomato, so he's gonna come off thinking like, okay, I made a great film, you know? Yeah. And there are people who are gonna say it's a shitty film, but they're kind of coming off because they got butt hurt by the Last Jedi. Yeah. Um, but we're kind of coming in being like, there's some issues. It still is a good watch, but there still is some issues yeah. with it. You know, it, it it we weren't expecting a perfect film, but we weren't ex- we weren't expecting a perfect film, but we definitely weren't expecting a film that's that, mediocre at best. Yeah, and can be messy once you actually start thinking about like, well, that doesn't make sense. It was directed well, I think, right? Like, yeah, his direction any, is still great. Yeah, there's not any point where things don't really make sense, or why are we doing this, or why are we following this character? None of that happens. Yeah, you're saying like there's no there's no like wasted scene. There's no right. wasted dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it was just the story itself. It could have. Mm. I think it could have gone through a few edits with actual comedians. Yeah, maybe a little. I don't like. I don't know. I don't exactly know the the story behind the script. I don't know how long how long he worked on it. He mm-hmm. might have been working on it for a while, but you know, it, I mean, there are times where it could, you know, it might not be perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, his his direction is still great. I really enjoy his direction. Um, like how Kelsey had said, like the the from Steadicam to Handicam scene, which was really great. Um, and that was like a simple camera, a simple camera trick that kind of really propelled you into the mindset of one of the characters, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, I always thought I thought this was funny that Christopher Plummer, he's his his name might as well just been plot device. 
Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, when he dies, you're just like, okay, so now we got the plot moving forward. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I really forgot I really forgot what his la- his first name was. Like, during the movie, I was like, wait, what's that thing? And then it's funny, too, because I caught, um, what's her name? Ana, Ana de Armas? Mm-hmm. Caught her calling him, like, everyone else called him Harlan. Mm-hmm. And there are times where she called him Harlan. Mm-hmm. But there was one time she was calling him Harlan. 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 Like she tried to have that accent a little too thick. Something. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you calling him Harlan? That's not a thing. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Like her her accent, like the um, the actress, she, she's, she's from Cuba. But it's kind of weird because her accent kind of like fluctuates. It goes like from like super thick to not thick to like almost not there. And I remember you told me that like, well, certain people who have come to this country eventually become Americanized. Their accent kind of comes in and out. But it was weird because it was like it was like really high and then really low with the accent. Yeah. And then like there are people like me. Mm. If I'm around someone with an accent for a while, I'll start to take on some traits of it. Yeah. It doesn't ever stick. but. Yeah. I was like that with my in-laws. I'd start talking like them a little bit when they were speaking English. Yeah, yeah. You know what? There's a couple of times where I've heard you talk and I can hear uh, like a Massachusetts accent coming out but of But I'm you. from there. Yeah. Well, see, that's your go. Like you're, you, could, you can kind of hear it, but you got kind of more, you've been in California for so long that it's kind of like gone away or it kind of pops in and out. Her, it was just like extreme to no extreme to extreme to no extreme to no extreme and then extreme and extreme then no extreme. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, you have any more thoughts on Knives Out? Um, would you recommend that anybody, would you recommend that we, that people go see this? Uh, no. Really? Okay. My thing is like, I was really expecting something spectacular from him. Mm-hmm. And even though it's a passable film, mm-hmm. I would rather just pretend it didn't happen and wait to see what else comes out from him so that I can like enjoy that oh okay see something else from him and like just enjoy that so that i don't have a bad taste in my mouth because all i've seen of his is the last jedi yeah which i liked but also you know yeah you want to see something of his own not not a franchise film yeah yeah i gotta i gotta show you brick brick is that is you know what i was actually re-watching brick uh, a couple nights ago yeah yeah damn that's movie so i mean it's it's early 2000 as fuck but man, it is still, it is a great story. Yeah. Everything is early 2000 as fuck when it's in early 2000s. Yeah, but this is like 2000 as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's, you know, that's our take of Knives Out. Uh, I say, that you, I, I definitely say you guys should go check it out, but just don't, don't go in really with high expectation. Like, leave your brain at home. Yeah, yeah, do that. Um, so, yeah. So from there, oh, actually, you know what? Let me just throw this in there. Uh, Ryan Johnson has a constant collaboration with the actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has always been in a Ryan Johnson film to some capacity. Uh, And apparently he showed up in this film as well. He played the voice of uh, Detective Hard Hard Rock. Hard Rock, sorry. Um. Uh, the police detective heard on the television series Martha's Watching is a voice by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Levitt. So, he's in that movie, too. 
Mm-hmm. He was he was in Last Jedi too. He did a voice of like one of the creatures. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's in. Yeah, he'll show up in some capacity. <laughs> uh, okay, so from there we're gonna go ahead and talk about uh, the recent episode of HBO's Watchmen. Okay, so for uh, this week's episode of The Watchmen, this is episode seven, an almost religious awe. Is that it? Yeah, an almost religious awe. Oh, for some reason I thought it was in, in almost religious awe. Um, the episode was directed by Steph Green. Uh, it was written by Damien Lindelof. Carly Way? Carly Ray? Carly Ray, sorry. <laughs> Not Carly Ray Jepsen. Who's that? Um, call me by... Uh, call me maybe. Oh, that's, oh, 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 okay, gotcha. Anyway. That's a song. <laughs> gotcha, yeah. Uh, hey, I just met you to make me crazy, so here's my number. Call me maybe. That'll be the only time you guys will ever, ever hear me sing. <laughs> <laughs> Put that serious ass look on your face. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, if you guys haven't, if you guys haven't watched, uh, episode seven of Watchmen, we will be spoiling the ever-loving piss out of, uh, this week's episode. Kelsey, mm-hmm. what did you think about this episode? Holy shit. <laughs> you know Holy what? Shit. Holy shit. I actually enjoyed uh, the previous one more. But just okay. because I really like learning about people's backstories and it was very stylized. Oh yeah, that's that episode six is probably so far. It's, it's, it's the best. It's one. the best out of the season. Yeah. Um, but coming off of that one, mm. um, they did not go. They did not look at um, what happened to Wade Tillman. They did give a clue of what might have happened. To they him. did give a clue, like he's okay. Mm-hmm. Because there's all these bodies. Yeah. He. Oh, before we continue, because we didn't we didn't record last week, so we didn't talk about episode six. So when everybody remember, I was fucking right on Hood of Justice. <laughs> I knew he was Will Reeves. I had the clues laid out. I knew it was him. But yeah, if you guys uh, don't remember, Tim Blake Nelson, a character Wade Tillman, Looking Glass, was being visited by members of the Seventh Cavalry, and the episode ended. And. That's when this episode. It is. That's not when this episode started, but they do touch up on it in episode seven. Yeah, that was episode five that that happened. Yeah, episode uh, episode five. Sorry. Um, so again, it's uh, Sister Night heavy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. Now we're getting more of her backstory. We're getting her backstory. She's not following her grandfather around anymore. Mm-hmm. Now she's like in the Millennium Tower. Mm. Um, because Lady True is the only one who can save her life after she took all of the nostalgia pills. Yeah. Um, and you get this. She had a fucked up childhood. That's. I feel so bad for that girl. She, Jesus. You know her. First of all, Vietnam became the fifty first state. I thought that was great how they shot it. It looked like a. It looked like a. Uh, like a street fair going on in Brooklyn. Yeah. And something happened. Someone was wearing like a bomb in a backpack or whatever. So of course, yeah. And yeah, her parents. She basically saw her parents get blown to pieces. Yeah. 
Then she becomes like an orphan, doesn't have any next of kin that she knows of, mm-hmm. and she's made to work under like a Korean orphanage mistress or whatever. Yeah, uh, Vietnamese. Oh, Vietnamese, sorry. Mm. Um, and then her grandmother shows up. Yeah, June. Um, yeah. Will Reeves' wife. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, you know, I tried to talk to my son. He wouldn't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and how I found out that he died is because I tried to write him a letter and the letter came back deceased. Yeah. And she didn't so, even know that she had a granddaughter. Right. Yeah. Which that was really, tra- that's really tragic. <laughs> so she went to go get her mm-hmm. and, you know, she started to like come out of her shell. The child did, you yeah. know, she was like, yeah, cool. Like I'm going to go with my grandma. Like, I don't, I know that you're my grandmother now. Like I can. I can trust I'm, I'm kind of comfortable with you. Yeah, and she's like going to take her back to Tulsa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Angela so, Angela Abar at a very young age. You yeah, know, and then that. you know the grandmother buckles her in, mm-hmm. and as her grandmother closes the door and goes around the back of the car, she dies of a heart attack. That was so messy. And you know what? I I didn't think about it until right now. That the last thing that Angela's mother said to her before she died was, "Let me buckle you in, precious cargo." In the back seat. And then yeah. she closed the door and then she dies. That <laughs> was so jacked up. Yeah. And it was almost played in a way of for comedic effect, but still fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. So you kinda know that she's she's seen a lot of shit from a young age. She mm-hmm. that's why as a like an adult woman, mm-hmm. she doesn't take any shit. She loves fiercely. Um, she knows what she wants and she knows who she is and she, she like holds on to the people that she cares about really tightly. Yeah. And she's like really protective of the people that she loves. Right. Mm. Um, so you start to see some of her backstory and she's connected to like this tube Mm. and you know, they kind of play with the idea that on the other side of the tube is her grandfather. Yeah, like they're they're taking out the nostalgia and putting it back into her grandfather. Yeah, into the original recipient. Right. And they the whole entire episode they're like, "No, you're not allowed to go see him. It's mm-hmm. a bad idea." Mm-hmm. And she eventually she waits until Lady True is giving some big speech just before they're about to turn on the millennium clock. Yeah, we are doing they're finally cutting down to the millennium clock being activated. Right. And so she takes that opportunity to break into the room where she thinks her grandfather is. And there's this elephant laying on the ground Mm. who's obviously under some kind of anesthesia. Mm. And that's what her tube is hooked up to. Yeah, I think they... And another tube, too, that goes through the wall. Yeah, I think they play that onto, like, an elephant never forgets. Mm -hmm. So they're probably, like, playing up with that idea, which... um, I was listening to uh, Slash Film Daily's uh, podcast as they were breaking down the episode. I didn't notice this, but like the Lady True symbol, if mm. you look at it, it actually looks like the face of an elephant. Oh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I was just like, what? Well, because we were like, oh, it looks like Tesla. Yeah, we were stuck <laughs> on that idea. Of, like, that must be Tesla. This is this is an allegory for, tes- for Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then, I I know that you were hearing rumors mm. about Cal. Yeah, I didn't 
hear any rumors and well, also it wouldn't have made any sense to me how it could happen i still don't understand it mm-hmm. well i remember like what i heard that i i heard this idea from what i from what i read it was from uh, a reddit thread one person said this and it but it was so far-fetched that people would just roll their eyes at the idea that cal angela's husband is really dr manhattan you know in the flesh and they've never they've never gave an idea in the comic at all that uh, John Osterman, who becomes Doctor Manhattan, can wear flesh again. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, but like it's been over what twenty years or some like twenty thirty years since the events of the comic. So I one would have to assume that his powers did evolve to the point where he can do that. He did say he will maybe create life. And maybe he did create the life that we we are seeing in the show with uh, um, the servants, uh, Cronshank and what's the other servant's name? I can't remember the other servant's name, but where, uh, what's his name at? Oh, uh, Miss Crookshank. Yeah, Miss Crookshank. And I keep thinking it's Mr. Tellerman, but that's not it. That's that's looking glass. <laughs> but where Ozymandias is, is people, are, you know, people are speculating that that was uh, Doctor Manhattan's creation. Uh-huh. So I guess it's left to, we we're left to assume that maybe he could have actually done this. Yeah. No. Um. But I I would like to really know why, and I, I think yeah. that's a good cliffhanger there. Like, how could this happen, and why did it happen? Yeah, and the next episode they they lead up to the idea that we're gonna we're gonna find out what happened, what led up to uh, Angela actually, um, well. What happens in the show is what happens later on the show is that later true Lady True tells Angela, I'm here to save humanity because um they go into the seven cavalry into this episode where Lori Blake I th- I thought this trapdoor scene was actually kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Where Lori Blake goes and sees um Lady True. Yeah. No, uh, not Lady True. No, Lori Blake. Yeah, Lori Blake went to go see um uh Crawford's wife. Yeah. And was just to ask her a few questions and she, she, the wife was like, oh, okay, so am I going to tell you my evil plan? Oh, no, no, she said, oh, did I confess to my evil plan too soon? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, pulls out this old remote that looks like it's from, like, the 50s or some shit. Mm-hmm. And then presses the button, and then she falls through. And Lori Blake, wake, Lori Blake wakes up in the mall, in the abandoned mall from episode five, where Senator Keenan. Keen. Keen, sorry. Pretty much tells his plan. And it's kind of a really far-fetched plan. I don't know how they're going to do it. But they, they are essentially going to rebuild um, the machine that made Dr. Manhattan. They plan on killing him and taking in his powers, which is really, really frightening. Uh, because, you know, picture like the white supremacist with the powers of a god. Yeah. And he even says this really great fuck. I'll say this. I'll say it because it's fucking true. This very Fox S line where, uh, oh, where is it? I wrote it down too. It is, uh, oh, uh, he says something like, he's not a racist. And he goes off to say, it's hard being, a, oh, hard times being a white man in oh. America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's not a racist. Yeah. And he says, let's be blue. Which gives the idea that he, they, they tend on becoming Dr. One of them tends on becoming Dr. Man, probably Senator Keen. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. I like do find it really explain. interesting. Um, 
and yeah, also disquieting because, you know, John Osterman doesn't handle it that well himself. But mm-hmm. he's not a fucking psycho trying to kill everybody either. Yeah. He just he's just losing his his touch on he, humanity. Yeah, and he's trying to he's he wants to figure it out. So mm. it's not like he's a bad person to begin with, like a mm. bad base to yeah put this burden on. So if you're gonna give this to somebody who is like, oh, okay, well I'm gonna basically be Thanos, <laughs> yeah. then you know that that is scary. Yeah. And so they jump back to Angela Abar and Lady True talking. And Lady True says, I know Dr. Manhattan's not on Mars. He's here in Tulsa. And he's living among us. And instead of Angela saying, who is he? She leaves. Which already gives you the idea that Angela probably knows who Dr. Manhattan is. Yeah, Lady True is like, you didn't ask you me, didn't ask me who yeah. he was. Don't you want to know? Yeah, which is pretty much her saying, like pretty much her catching Angela. Like, like don't you want to know? But you already know. Yeah. Like that. And she goes home, confronts Cal. This part was kind of, it was kind of hard to watch because Cal was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm your husband. Yeah, he really didn't know. Yeah. It could have been something that like, when we have, um, um, so I checked out the PDPedia and they have a medical record of what happened to Cal and how he had amnesia. So it could have been something where they worked out a plan where he would have to forget who he is as Dr. Manhattan to remember who he was as a human. Right. And he has amnesia, and that's part of like the medical records. So he most likely purposely forgot who he was so he wouldn't be he so he wouldn't reveal himself. Yeah. Um so yeah, she like cracks him in the head with a hammer. A bunch of times. Yeah, pretty fucking violent. And pulls out the Dr. Manhattan symbol. I forgot what the, what the... I think it's a hydrogen symbol. Uh-huh. And, like, she's looking down. She looks at it. She's looking down. She sees the object. And you see this blue light. And it's... Holy shit, it's Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Which I thought was totally awesome. But at the same time, when she, like, got home, the 7th Cavalry was already waiting for her. Hmm. Which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm in the episode. And... So, I want to talk about um, Looking Glass. When Detective, with the FBI agent Petey, when he went and went to Looking Glass's house or Wade Tillman's house and saw all the Seven Cavalry members laying out, there was a member who didn't have a mask on. Mm-hmm. So it would one would have to assume that Wade is wearing a Rorschach mask and infiltrated the Seven Cavalry again. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't notice that. Yeah, so I think whenever they activate this machine to kill Dr. Manhattan, somehow, I think this is going to happen. Wade is somehow going to, if they do kill Dr. Manhattan, and if the power goes to anybody, I think it's going to go to him. Like, he's going to jump in at the right moment or do something. And it it only seems fitting that it would be him. Yeah. Because he's more of a... He's more of a good individual, more of a, not a self-righteous, but he knows between the difference between right and wrong. Right. So it only makes sense that if, he, if that does happen, he would become the next Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would not want that to happen to him. <laughs> okay. Because I know that that's like. That's like a serious burden, though. Yeah. Yeah. But 
it, it should be him if it's going to be anybody because he probably is the only one who could really handle it. Mm. They still never address who that fucking shiny guy was that went into the tunnel. I think they will. If they don't, completely fine with it. That shit was ridiculous. <laughs> completely fine with it. Completely fine with it. Um, okay, before we actually start theorizing what's going to happen, ne- happen next, I want to talk about apparently one big clue that Damon Lindelof might have left for everybody that missed, that everybody missed. So, in one episode, Lori has this vibrator that Dan Dryberg made for her. That was essentially a big blue dick. <laughs> That's supposed to be Dr. Manhattan. And he called it Excalibur. Uh-huh. Okay. Angela Abar, husband, is black. Mm-hmm. And it's a black man. We're going to go ahead. I'm just going to bring it out about the whole myth that every black man has a huge dick. Mm-hmm. It was huge. X Cal Abar. <laughs> so like right there he was like Excalibur just, oh sorry hit the mic <laughs> the Excalibur part is just like that's who Dr. Manhattan is see the big movie the big black dick yeah you go so that's, that's I saw that I saw that tweet today I was like fuck that's fucking brilliant because <laughs> it's so stupid that's funny so what, what I, do you th- I need to talk about the scene where Ozymandias is doing the trial. Oh, yeah. We, let's, yeah let's talk about the trial. We, we, we almost skipped over it. Yes. I was thinking about that today. Okay. And you know how we were talking about how we think um, Dr. Manhattan tried to create life somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And couldn't really quite maybe figure out how humanity worked. Yeah. So it only seems fitting that he would make someone who would be like a jury to preside mm-hmm. over, you know, to preside over that world to make sure everything is good to go. Yeah. Um, and then you have the jury and they're all supposed to be of his peers. Yeah. So, but it's always like the same guy and the same girl. They're all clones, yeah. right? But it got a little weird, right? Because because the whole pig thing. Yeah, because he's like, well, they're not exactly your peers, but you know what is your peer? And then a whole bunch of these pigs came in, mm-hmm. and the warden picks up a pig and says, "What say you?" And the pig starts squealing, and he's like, guilty. Yeah. Guilt. And then it, it's like a fucking circus. Mm. And I actually really love that whole fucking scene, how it played out. Okay. Because it just tells you mm-hmm. how bad Dr. Manhattan was at knowing what humanity was. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, he... He created these people mm. who, in theory, should be able to... Like, function as... Function as, you know, like the government mm. and the ju- judicial system and all these things. Yeah. But essentially, they're not really any better than an animal. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I, I, would, I would agree. I, I'll agree with some of that. I'll even add to it about the whole pig thing because, I mean, when I took uh, biology... We experiment on a pig, and 
Dr. Manhattan is experimenting, and these people that he's trying to recreate humanity, it, they're just experiments. They're guinea pigs. Like, they're guinea pigs, exactly. Well, yeah. Is that like, well, a guinea pig is something else, right? A guinea pig is like a huge it's, hamster. It's yeah, a rodent. But, it, but it's the, the, I, if, I, if I'm... I'm probably wrong on this, but like the term guinea pig is used to like test something anyway. Well, pigs are too because. Mm. Well, like the word guinea pig, not the animal stuff, but the word guinea pig means like we're testing this out. Oh, yeah. But I'm, if you're going to go into that and about experimentation and everything, mm. pigs are closely associated with humans. Yeah. To the point where you can harvest human organs. Oh, yeah, that's true. And they use pigs as, like, you know, if you're going to go on a range and you want to know how a bullet's going to react with human oh, flesh. Oh, yeah, you, they, they shoot a pig. a pig. Yeah, that's right. Um, so there's that. Mm. I don't really know how much that really plays into it, but. Well, it, it goes with the whole experimenting thing. So, yeah, it, it kind of goes a lot into it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I just think that the he, the warden was so, like, almost filled with, like, elation. Like, he, guilty, guilty. Everyone's, like, guilty guilty and um there's ozymandias crying and he's that kind of that okay like he farted in response to yeah do you have anything to say do you have anything to say and he farted and then when they come up with this guilty verdict i almost feel like those tears were were of frustration like Mm, maybe they're tears of joy it, he did not look joyous to me at all. He mm. looked really upset, like mm. like uh, like you've been trying and trying and trying to do something mm-hmm. and not getting anywhere. Okay, and you have these idiots now telling you that you're guilty. Yeah, and yeah. he even said as much too. Like none of you are worthy of my presence here. Basically. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe that kind of goes into like what the judge said the judge said about uh a jury of your peers and maybe that wasn't that wasn't the judge saying that that was maybe i'm I'm, i might be thinking that might have been dr manhattan's words channeling through him because in the eyes of dr manhattan ozzy mendes ain't shit like he might as well be um those clones because those clones are pretty stupid yeah. So maybe maybe he could have been like kind of ragging on Ozzy Mandit at the same time. Maybe. I mean, just I mean that's but that's your theory goes way better over than my than what my theory is. Yeah, I I thought there was a lot of symbolism in that. Yeah. In that scene, and mm. I really enjoyed it because it, it just kind of questions like existence as a whole and yeah. what is humanity and mm. how weird things can be if you don't really have humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so from there, I want to I want us to think about I want us to talk about what we think the reasons Doctor Manhattan had to become Cal, because you and I were you and I have actually we've actually been talking about this quite a lot of Doctor Manhattan's humanity because um, I know you and I we find that character fascinating, especially like the whole humanity kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think we even kind of disagree on his ability to be human. I think. Mm. I think there are conversations we've had where your idea of him is that he's kind of a jerk, mm-hmm. especially in the comics, um, because of his lack of humanity. And I think that he's just lost. I don't, I don't think he's mean or a jerk or mm. intentionally malicious or thoughtless. I mm. think he's just 
really doesn't understand where anyone is coming from. Mm -hmm. And he still does have a heart. He still feels pain. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I I think the jerk part, I think somewhat in the beginning, like in, in the comic, he did really come off as a jerk. You know, like I... I do not care about these people because I have no connection with them. But I'm leaning more onto your side as time has gone on that mm-hmm. he wants to be back in touch with that humanity. Yeah. You know, despite of what's been going on in his head and him seeing that I probably can do better than this, there's probably a small part of him that like, well, I want to go back to how I was. I want to fully understand this because I've lost my way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a part... I'm 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 trying to remember if it's in the comic exactly or if I'm remembering from the movie, but there's a part where Ozymandias is kind of going over his plan of how he can see Doctor Manhattan is really being tortured on the within, mm-hmm. and he says like when he says like when he sees video of Doctor Manhattan he looks like whatever, but he can recognize the small facial twitches that his that he has, mm-hmm. and he's reading it as Doctor Manhattan is like screaming like get me the fuck out of here please help me. Yeah. So he could have, that could have been, that that could be that inner conflict of him of like, I want, I, if I want to be a God, I want to be a God who understands. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's the reason why he became Cal. Right. You know, because he wants to get back in tune with that. So Lady True actually has this room. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a prayer room. Okay. Where Dr. Manhattan can hear everybody's prayers. Oh, yeah, yeah, go on. And Angela is hearing all these prayers. Mm -hmm. And that's what those booths are for. Yeah, they are to talk to Dr. Manhattan, but I believe she said... But it seemed like just to talk to him. Mm -hmm. But then you realize, no, they're praying to him. Yeah, because they see him, some of them see him as a god, especially like the Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the Vietnamese, they see him as a god. Right. And... I wonder if he didn't just, I mean, he met Angela mm-hmm. and I don't know if maybe he was inspired by her and also tired of the whole being a God thing. And he just wanted to be with her in the moment. Yeah, they do. They, they do show a little bit of, um, we're going to talk a little bit of what we saw from the trailer for next week's episode. And he does, he does see Angela. Dr. Man does see Angela. It looks like the same bar where, Blake might have killed um, that pregnant Vietnamese woman who I theorize and some people theorize that that might be Lady True's mother. Um, Because in this episode, they reveal that her daughter, Beyond, is not her daughter. That's a clone of her mother. Uh, And it's weird. She's feeding her... She's feeding her nostalgia. Nostalgia of her own... Memories, yeah, of, of of her grandmother's of her mother's of her mother's memories, memories so I think that he, she will turn into her mother if she yeah. has her experiences. Yeah, um, so uh, they go. It seems like Angela is in the same bar that that event happened, where Blake shot um, shot what people are saying might be beyond might be True's mother, and he shows up. Dr. Mahan shows up and says, "Oh, I'm in love." I saw you and I fell in love with you at first sight. And she's like, well, how do you know what love is? Blah, 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 blah. So maybe he saw something in her that sparked that feeling. No, I don't think he said, I'm, I, like, I fell in love with you at first sight. Because uh. she said, I remember her saying in the trailer for next week that 
there, um, you've never had a moment where you've fallen in love with someone. Like there's no moment for you because he, he just knows that he's in love with her because He's already experienced it, even though it hasn't happened. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, because he has this whole like he sees the past, present, and future. Right. Oh, okay, yeah. So he like he knew he was gonna meet her, and mm-hmm. and she's kind of confused by this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. I mean, like we're we're like I said, we're just piecing, we're trying to piece together what what might have happened. Exactly. Happen. But I mean, I mean, it goes to the credit to the show that we're just like. What does this mean? What is this? And, yeah. you, know, uh, you and I were talking about um, we might be seeing a return of week to week showing now <laughs> because this and the Mandalorian, you know, that are both on. Uh, well, they're on streaming services. We got HBO that does this. They've been doing this forever. Yeah. Game of Thrones, Succession. And Euphoria. Stuff like that. Yeah. And it has all that build up where people are sitting down and thinking. What's going to happen next? What does this mean? Let's pick this apart. I want to figure out the clues. And same thing for The Mandalorian. And this is going to bring back... This is kind of going off subject, but same time it kind of is on subject. This is going to bring back the 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 viewing of watching every episode week to week. We're like binge watching, kind of like kill, it's killing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like this is what this doc, this is how this gives credit to how great the fucking writing is. And yeah. How awesome the show is. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you have any more thoughts on this week's episode or any more predictions? Um, I don't have any predictions. I think you're the master of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always like... I mean, good <laughs> just is right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do feel sad that Will Reeves' son turned out the way he did. Yeah. Kind of fearful. Mm-hmm. That... I mean, that's my comment on that. Mm. Um, Dr. Manhattan still is a confusing character for me. Yeah. Just just in general to wrap your mind around. Mm. But I think I do an okay job of that. But when you try to throw him into a storyline and then pick apart his motives, mm. um, that's, that's still pretty hard. Yeah. Though I am happy that it's with Angela Abar. Because yeah. if anyone can handle that kind of a relationship, mm. it's going to be her. Yeah. Um, so, um, oh, and then the other thing is, I think I told you last night too, or was it today? Uh, Lori's going to start fucking hating on her now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, they already have a contentious relationship. Now mm-hmm. it's going to get all fucking hateful and vengeful and shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I have one more prediction. I think that the woman that that um the comedian shot that was holding that was pregnant with his child i think dr manhattan is going to we're going to see dr manhattan bringing her back from the dead or bringing her back to life and that child's going to come back mm-hmm. as well um and then maybe he's he, he's going to help raise the child because at one point she says um in the this past episode, in episode seven, Lady True mentions that like, oh, my father's not here, but he will be. She could be referring to Doctor Manhattan, mm-hmm. or she could be referring to Ozymandias because she holds him into high regards. So maybe Adrian Vite might have taught her, and that's why she is who she is now. Right. So that's a possibility. Um, do you think um, she has anything to do with the lady that got shot, Lady True? Like, 
which lady? The, the pregnant woman. Do you think she could be like her? I think I think Lady True is is the kid that the was kid that was that was pregnant. Like, I mean, that was in inside the in the womb. Yeah, I think that's Lady True. Okay. And beyond is the mother. Got it. Um, if I remember correctly, I think in the comic, I think the the woman's name is Beyond. Really? Yeah, I think so. I could I could be wrong. I'm maybe it's a little fuzzy. Yeah. Um, I mean, other than that, like I, I really can't wait to see what happens when they further explore Doctor Manhattan. It's gonna be awesome. In my opinion, I think it's gonna be awesome. Um, the complexity of that character just. It's just so fucking fascinating. I really want them to unravel him for me. Like, yeah, it's, not for me. Like, don't let me figure it out. But, like, let's start picking him apart. Yeah, I think they're going to finally do that with the uh, with the next episode. I mean, we got, like, two episodes left. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's gonna be, I think it's going to be great. Uh, yeah, so those are our thoughts on uh, this week's Watchmen. Uh, we're going to be talking about the next episode uh, when we record next week. From there, we're going to go, after our Watchmen discussion, we are going to go ahead and jump into our discussion of the geriatric cinematic for this week, which is Death Trap. Of a knife and a twist in the plot, Death Trap is everything it's not. Sydney, people are always interested in psychics who can point at someone and say, that man murdered that man. Are you trying to say that you don't think that you can trust me? Sydney? My heart won't take it. Death trap. Death trap. Death trap! To show you any more would be a crime. So join Michael Caine, Christopher Reeve, and Diane Cannon in Ira Levin's Death Trap. In for the kill, right? No. Definitely not. Blood in the carpet. Okay, so Death Trap, uh, the 1982 film directed by Sidney Lumet. Lumet, uh, the man behind such cinema classics as 12 Angry Men, Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, as written by, uh, is based on the stage play, written by Aaron Levin. Ira Levin. Ira Levin, thank you. <laughs> the screenplay is written by Jay. Preston Allen uh, stars Michael Caine, uh, Christopher Reeve, uh, Diane Cannon, and Irene Worth. Who's oh that's Helga? Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So the IMDb synopsis is a a Broadway playwright puts murder in his plan to take credit for his student's play. So the reason why we picked this movie is this is one of the films that Ryan Johnson said it inspired him to write Knives Out. Uh, this is a very whodunit film. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. We're going to spoil the shit out of it because you really need to watch it. Because like, I got done watching this, right? <clears throat> and I didn't feel like what you posted on Facebook about, you know, I'm watching Death, Death Trap was mm-hmm. adequate enough. Like, Oh, because of a reef? No, 
because it was amazing and you're all yeah watching death trap and then i was no, like this put me on a fucking trip that most films do not achieve that level with me you know what's funny you're like you're you you are kind of picky when it comes to older films because you don't like the way how they look. Well, it's not because of how they look; it's because <laughs> cinematically they're not as dramatic. They're more down to earth because of the techniques that they had of the time. So yeah. it's a little slower mm-hmm. and a little um, like it, the pacing is a bit. The different. pacing is not not that good sometimes. So. Either it's an amazing film because it's a brilliant idea, or mm. it's just mediocre. Okay. I feel okay. like you want to add more to it. No, you. <laughs> oh, okay. You so were say something. Uh, okay. Well, I okay. I I honestly I did not watch this film. I had never seen this film beforehand. Actually, never heard of it. Um, but once I saw that it was Christopher Reeve, you know, the man who is mostly known as Superman. And Michael Caine, who's a, a mostly known as Pennyworth. <laughs> no, mostly known as Carter. Like <laughs> Carter. <laughs> Pennyworth, Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, I we were just like, okay, let's kind of let's let's check out this movie. Let's see what's up. Kelsey's right that I did not do it justice when I posted a status update on this film. I think because like at the time we we're watching it. I was just so focused on Christopher Reeve because I love Christopher Reeve. I mean, I grew up watching Superman. He is Superman to me, you know, and, and other other um, other unknown or not so well-known films that he's done. Mm-hmm. This was my first experience yeah. with him. But holy shit, this movie was fucking amazing. Uh-huh. Like. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you posted like that because you didn't like the film. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying you posted and I was like, no, 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 no. This movie is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think because like I was so just like enthralled with the story and like the acting and everything that I was I I, I face what what's Facebook? <laughs> like, that's it. So yeah, Michael Caine plays this playwright who, um, who has has garnered like wide success, but he can't get another hit, and he comes across this student of his who's written a play. That it's 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 the hit he's looking for. So he devised a plan to kill this student, who's Christopher Reed, who uh, who's played by Christopher Reed. Reeve. Sorry, Reeve. And the character's name is Clifford, and Michael Caine, who uh, plays Sydney. Um, they devise this. Michael Caine and his wife Diane. Well, she she kind of is going with the plan, but not really so much. Mm-hmm. But near like I think what maybe like forty minutes into the movie, like. Christopher Reed is murdered. His character is killed by Michael Caine. Mm. But that's not the end of it. It just keeps going because, like, there's this incredible mystery that just starts unraveling. Mm-hmm. Where, like, you end up finding out that, like, he wasn't the target, that his that Michael Caine's wife was the target, and how their relationship... Oh, my God. <laughs> all within the span, I think, of, like, less than five minutes. Yeah. It was all of a sudden... Wait. The student wasn't the target. The, the wife was. The wife was the target. She died of a heart attack. Yeah. Okay. And they're gay together. Yeah, and kind of like they're lovers, which I have to applaud. I have to applaud the writing and the director for going there. Going there. Because yeah. this is during like the early 80s where 
seeing two men kissing, it's was not cool. Like it bothered people. Yeah. You know, people wore their homophobic ideas on their shoulder like a fucking shoulder pad or some shit. <laughs> a shoulder pad from the eighties, you know? <laughs> but the fact that like they went there was like, holy shit, like I'm so glad they fucking went there. And they didn't like they didn't pull away from it. Like they showed them kissing. And yeah. they, they were they they weren't like Like a real kiss, not just a peck. Yeah, and they weren't like kiss. Oh, we're manly again. No, no, we're lovers. Yeah. And, and it just it continues to unravel because now Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve's character they're going back and forth because Christopher Reeve sees this this event this this, this string of events happen he wants to make it into a play mm-hmm. and Michael Caine's like I'm not good with that it's going to bring us attention mm-hmm. so then they're going at it back and forth so like so, okay, okay. Okay. okay the thing that fucks it up for them uh, not like entirely but it's like this nagging thing. That keeps coming back, and especially Sydney's kind of scared about it, mm. is Helga Tendorp. Helga, the psychic. Yes. Woo! Hold on. <laughs> you want to talk about, you know, as we talked about Knives Out, how how Ryan Johnson used something to, like, at a nauseating degree, where it would have been better played out one or two times, and then making a callback near the end. She only shows up like two, maybe three times. Yeah, and it's well spaced apart. Yes, three. Yes, three times. Yeah, this Helga character who's a sec, who is a psychic, she comes back at these pivotal moments until at the end where she comes up on top, and it's like a whoa! That was completely out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> um, her character is super eccentric. Mm-hmm. She has the same outfit on every time you she, she a, comes to the house. Yeah, she has that like, fucking hat with the with the reflectors yeah, she's on. Wearing it. like sweatpants and a hoodie, mm-hmm. and then like a you know this pink hat with like red reflectors around yeah. it. And she even takes the hat with her to the play. Oh yeah, at the end of the movie, yeah, she's wearing a dress with the hat. Yeah. Um. So she basically predicts what's going to happen but she can't see everything anyway yeah she says it's kind of fuzzy yeah mm. um but i think i think she knew all along that she was going to end up writing the play yeah um because over the course of the film um chris or reed and michael Caine are going back and forth she she actually predicts that they're gonna they're gonna fight each other and it's gonna be like a murder mm-hmm. uh, but she can't say exactly who yeah and then it gets to a point where that murder comes to fruition, and she's there. And by the end of the movie, she's the one who wrote the play. Yep. She's the one who took the story. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'll admit, when the movie ended, I was like, oh, that was kind of bullshit. I don't really like the fact that she came out with the play. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I kind of felt the same way, too. I'm like, well, that's a cheap ending. Yeah. And then... I started know, thinking about it. Yeah, we, we started thinking about it, and I think I think it was maybe like thirty minutes after the movie ended, and we're like, "You think she knew everything was gonna happen exactly like that?" And she <laughs> made sure she was. It was fucking brilliant. Like time, no time had gone on, and we were doing other stuff. We yeah. were like, I think you had come out of the bathroom or something. Uh-huh. Like we were just not even really thinking about the movie, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get like this wide-eyed look on your face, mm. and you just you're like, wait, 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 wait. Do you think she knew what was gonna happen? Mm-hmm. She knew, right? She had to know. She had to know because she had to know because she was 
she she does okay like i said this goes to like good writing and like leaving these clues out for people to figure it out there's little moments where she's kind of preparing herself for what's gonna happen by essentially like telling them like oh i'm a psychic um, a guy's gonna attack you with these boots. So she's already like kind of building that tension. Mm-hmm. You know, because that starts putting doubt in Michael Caine's mind. Yeah. And then like there's even a part, it's very small, it's very subtle, and it's perfect. It's perfectly uh, written where there's a thunderstorm and she's like, oh, I came out to get candles. And she gets the candles. Yeah. But she comes, but she knows to get the candles because she's gonna be back in the house when the lights are out. Yep. And you see her like, boom, use a can. I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) I think it's, yeah, she definitely is using like psychology against them Mm. too. Because when the wife is still alive, she comes, that's the first time you meet the psychic. Yeah. And she's like, oh, there's so much pain, so much pain in this room right here. Yeah. And they even tell us like. That the wife, Diane, like, you're in pain. You're in pain. Of course, she doesn't see it. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not in pain. What are you talking about? Yeah. And then, of course, she dies of a heart attack in that room. Yeah. And I think she even said, like, oh, I think she even pointed to the spot where she was going to have the heart attack. Yeah. I even jumped when, um, where Chris Reeve, who seemed like he came back from the dead, I even kind of jumped when he showed up covered in mud and blood and shit like that. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, and then that's what that's when that's when you and I knew we're like, all right, we're like we're fucking in it. We're in this movie, one hundred percent. One thing I really have to give credit to is the f- phenomenal acting. It was amazing acting. Mm-hmm. Um, even like the direction, it was even it's based off a play. It's even played out like a play, right? Where um, I think the film takes place. Three locations tops. Uh, yeah, three locations. I'll say maybe two and a half because one is like not even like dialogue in that particular uh, location. But like it's played out in a play because you f- essentially follow everything happening with within this um, house. House, and it's a house that really doesn't have any walls, so they're able to like really move the camera around like seamlessly between each setting. Mm-hmm. in the house like it's almost like there's no break there are there are cutaways and stuff like that but you would swear like each like camera setup lasted for like 10 or 15 minutes of just straight dialogue right and it looks it looks amazing the other thing is about how it's written is that when they when um cliff jumps through the window mm-hmm. and after the wife is dead the conversation that happens at that moment mm-hmm. Is it's like seamless, right? She's dead, and then the two men are talking. Yeah, and it's not like, whoa, okay, like we did it. Let's, you know, there's nothing that's like, aha, we were in it together. They're like yeah. just talking, and you're like, wait, 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 wait. You guys were together in this. Yeah, like, yeah. They like they're like saying little things like, like, oh, you you acted this way when we practiced in the room. Yeah. Yeah, like little subtle like. like they didn't... It wasn't in your face. Exactly. It was very much like you have to listen to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And, and the conver- it was very... It was conversational. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... We're on the screen now and we're telling the audience what just happened. It was just like you're listening to these two characters talk to each other and their tones are not elevated at all. Like, I'm talking louder than they were. Yeah. They were just like... 
well, we, uh, we definitely rehearsed that a certain way. And, you know, I think it worked out really well. You mm-hmm. know, we're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, they're, they're telling you their plan. They're telling you how they went about their plan or how they went about planning their, the, 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 the they went about planning the murder, but without, like, throwing everything in your face and pretending that you're stupid. Yeah. You know, there's, Mikey even makes a, he even makes a crack saying, like, He's like, well, that bloody phone log you hit me with was actually pretty hard. You hit me a little too hard with that. He was like, well, I had to, I had to really do it. I mean, you had to make it seem like I was attacking you. Yeah. Yeah. This like kind of subtle. <laughs> why this woman's like dying on yeah. the floor of a heart attack. Um, one thing <laughs> I have to mention this. I'm a huge. I really like an old fashioned typewriter, like a Remington and stuff like that. Even like an old IBM typewriter. And seeing those typewriters was so good. Because <laughs> there's several shots of, like, Christopher Reed just, like, going at a typewriter, a classic typewriter. I can't remember what was the model. Yeah. Um, or the brand. Uh, but, yeah. And so, yeah, like, there's this really intense moment where the lights are out. There's lightning going off. Oh, what was the part you had mentioned about the lightning? That's what I was going to wait. I wanted to mm. talk about. Oh, yeah. Please, please, please. He, I, I, I think we disagree on this. Mm. The lightning is happening. And Cliff and Sydney are arguing with each other. Yeah. And when the lightning strikes really loudly and you could, you could hear the thunder, mm-hmm. um, Cliff says something like, um, like that's a bit dramatic. No, the corny but effective. Yeah. And I thought he was breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, he was probably just thinking like you know how things are coincidence and they happen. He was probably just commenting about it like yeah, like okay, God, like mm-hmm. you get it. Um, I could actually see that. I can actually see what you're saying as a possibility. Like maybe he really did commenting on it. Especially but, because that's a thing that people do in plays. Like, yeah, that that is absolutely true. And maybe like, maybe if it wasn't, I don't, I, I haven't seen the script. Maybe it was written differently, but maybe the uh, Sydney uh, Lumet kind of was like, no, just keep going, just keep going. That's beautiful. Like, I, I'm gonna include that in there. So maybe like he, maybe it was a commenting on that, and the director was just like, keep it in there. It's this performance is amazing. Yeah. Um, I think it was written in there. Oh, okay. Um, what else? The other thing I wanted to mention was the use of the handcuffs. Oh, yeah. I like how those handcuffs kept coming back. Like, in the beginning, he had a set of handcuffs, and they looked... They were old-timey, and he said they belonged to Houdini. Mm -hmm. So when they were doing their ruse um, to... Get the wife to think that that her husband was going to kill this guy. Um, he put them on him, like you know, oh, like check them out or whatever, and they're a trick, and you can pull them apart, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, and it's because those ones were not actually Houdini's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on in the film, like the final scene when he tells Sydney to put them on. Cliff yeah, but does. they're like different handcuffs, yeah. They they look the same, but they're the different ones. Mm-hmm. They're the trick ones, so Sydney gets out. I thought that scene was actually, that shot was pretty cool, how he kind of like, he 
clapped his uh, wrist, wrist together, together and they were like, boop, and they popped up. I was like, that was cool. Yeah. You know, like if I saw Houdini do that, I'd be like, whoa, holy shit. <laughs> that's awesome. And then the whole, okay, well, Sydney had a gun and so he thought he had one up on Cliff, but Cliff was like, oh, you mean, you know. The bullets that the were. bullets, you know, these bullets that are in this gun that I have. Because mm-hmm. he tried to shoot his gun. It was empty. Yeah. So Cliff had the gun with the bullets. And then Sydney had something else after after he got out of the handcuffs. Mm. There was one other thing that he oh, had. Oh yes, um, Cliff. Oh now I remember. Cliff was a uh, had the gun. Uh, Sydney was handcuffed, and Cliff told him, "I'm going to take the play. You keep your money, your insurance money, and if you ever said anything, I will say I will blab the fuck out. I will rat you out." Mm-hmm. And Cliff is about to take off, and then that's where Sydney pops the handcuffs off, climbs on top, cl- goes outside, climbs like the scaffolding or whatever. The lattice. The, the lattice, yeah. And he gets upstairs, and he goes back down, and he grabs the f- no, he gets upstairs, and he grabs that um that the, the crossbow. Uh huh. Yeah, he caught that crossbow, and then I remember being like, "Holy shit, is he gonna fucking do it?" <laughs> and I was really expecting this, like some trick to happen with the crossbow, like it not working, or maybe like. Clifford's like, I knew you'd do that. Or some mm-hmm. shit like that. Yeah. But yeah, that's when he like shoots him in the back and it's like, holy shit, he fucking did it. He fucking killed him. Yeah. And then that's when lights go out and Helga returns. <laughs> 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 um I remember when the when when the lights went out, uh, it's, 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 okay. I have this pet peeve about night shots. Mm-hmm. Uh for people who are listening who don't know. I I told this to Kelsey. I hate it when they do a night shot. And there's still light, but they pretend there's no light. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I don't know, it, it t- really takes me out. But here, they actually turned out all the lights. Yeah, it, and and it's dark. You can't see anything. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, and you see the lightning, and you just see this figure walking in the, in, into the room. Uh-huh. It's dark. And I remember jumping like, oh my god, what is that? What is it? Like, I'm, I'm expecting like some other part. And it's fucking Helga. <laughs> yeah. With the candle. You know? <laughs> fucking candlestick. And the... Kitchen, killing yeah. Colonel Mustard, whatever, however, clue it was. <laughs> um, yeah, and then there's like this fight. Helga gets the gun. She's going to shoot Michael Kane. Michael Kane gets the, they, they're fighting for the gun. Clifford Reeves, uh, Clifford's not dead. Pulls out this axe that was on the floor and he just swings it and cut to the play, stage play. <laughs> and that's where we're just like, whoa, holy shit, that was intense. Yeah, exactly. And she's so happy, like, oh my god, I wrote a great play. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was a huge success. I thought it was funny that uh, Sydney's agent was the one who put the play, helped put the play uh, on by Helga. Yeah, it even says, "What was the play was called Death Trap, wasn't it?" Oh yeah, yeah, it's called Death Trap by Helga. Blah 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 blah. I was like, Helga Tendor. Yeah, Helga Tendor, and it was a huge success. And you know, like we had said, we were kind of like, eh, and it was kind of weak. But then. After we saw the movie, time went by. We were just like, holy shit, that was fucking brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> she, she was so subtle. Mm-hmm. You don't even suspect her of anything. You just think she's going to find them out. Yeah. I want to I wanna talk to... Well, Sydney uh, Lament is dead. I want to talk to somebody who either wrote the script or who's worked with the play and hear their thoughts if they thought Helga knew everything was going to occur like it did. Yeah. I want to talk to Ryan Johnson about that. You want to talk to Michael Caine? 
He doesn't really do interviews. No? I mean, not, not with, you know, people like schmoes me. like me. Yeah. I'm he sure. He would talk to me. Oh, yeah, he totally talked to you. He wouldn't talk to you. Oh, no. Why not? Because I'm me and you, you. Oh, okay. True, 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 true. Actually, you know, I would, I actually would like to talk to Ryan Johnson and see, because he, yeah, he really likes that film. I think on his Twitter account, he has like pictures of that movie. Yeah. On all over his Twitter account. Um, I'd like to talk to him about that. Right, just tweet at him or some shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we like you know, like I said at the top of the show, we absolutely love Death Trap. Great fucking film. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you guys are still listening and you still want to check it out, go check it out. We hope we actually hope you push pause in time to uh, go see the movie and then come back and hear our take on it. Yeah. So yeah, especially you, James. Yeah, especially you, James, yeah. Um, so, a little bit of trivia. I'm not going to go too much into it, but this is kind of, I thought this was funny. So, we have uh, Christopher Reeve, who plays Superman. Mm-hmm. And then later we would have Michael Caine, who played Alfred Pennyworth, mm-hmm. Batman's butler. So, we got two people who are in DC films in this movie. Mm-hmm. But, a third person is involved. Uh, not only did Superman actor Christopher Reed play Clifford in this movie, Kevin Conroy, the voice of Bruce Wayne and Batman, to everybody, especially to me in my head, <laughs> uh, played the role of Clifford in the 1979 national tour of the play. Uh, it's considered like one of the longest plays ever, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is the longest running play, which is so funny because it's about a playwright who lost his touch. Yeah. And then the play becomes very successful under Helga Tendorp. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's a, a movie about a play about a play that doesn't do well, but the play and the movie about the play did well. Did super well. Yeah. I think the, <laughs> I think it has like a total of like 1800 or some like really crazy amount. Um, f- let me see. Uh, Death Rap Broadway season of... 1,793 oh, no. perf- performances never see- mission a show. Okay, that's Yeah, Sydney Burl is said to have written the longest-running mystery thriller Broadway in history. Mm-hmm. In real life, the record was broken. Uh, that record was broken by a death trap where it played for 1,793 performances. Jesus, that is a lot. Um, yeah, what was also that the beginning of the the beginning of the movie takes place on a play, and that was like an actual play. Um, they actually said the final scene in the movie mm. was shot on the actual set. Oh, okay. Of Death Trap, the play, which mm. was running um, the Music Box Theater. Oh, at the same time when the movie uh, was on Broadway. Running? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, we highly recommend you guys check out oh. that trip. Well, what's up? Forgot to mention uh, my whole weird theory about the play within the play, the characters. Okay. Um. So as Cliff is writing this story, mm. he's obviously renamed the people. Yeah. And one of them mm. is... Um, Julian Crane. Okay. And immediately my brain was like, 
Passions, the soap opera that came out in 1999 because there was Julian Crane and he was a middle-aged man and he was kind of a fuck up. He had a lot of money, but he couldn't do anything to help himself at all. That's what the NBC show, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ. That's just like a random thought. I know. So I started thinking about it a little bit more, though. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so you have Julian Crane, Mm -hmm. but also you have like this whole thing about like supernatural stuff where you have like witches and people who have the power of foresight too mm-hmm. yeah and so i'm thinking of all okay so there's like helga tendorp you know like <laughs> there's even this lady called norma who looks like a a german lunch lady kind of like helga no like she was oh the husky husky girl okay. yeah and she was always coming she came from like a, i think a a psych ward or something uh-huh. and she was constantly coming after the witch with like a fucking axe oh okay so you're thinking maybe they they took um the people behind passion they took some of death trap and kind of applied it to their yeah. show i can totally see i mean that's i mean that's a common practice in hollywood so i can totally see that yeah so that's where my brain was like oh okay i mean <laughs> i was a teenager when that came out so or preteen when it came out, but yeah, so of course I loved that movie. Yeah, I think I mean I that in, show. I think I was in high school when that um, when that movie came out. That show. I'm sure here at the show. Came <laughs> yeah. I remember a friend of mine talked about uh, talked about that show. How she was like really into it. Like I her was and her mother into. Was into it. I had a crush on uh, Lindsay Hartley. I don't know who that is. Justin Hartley's ex-wife. Oh, the, Justin Hartley, the guy from This Is Us, right? Yeah. Okay. He played Fox Crane. My God, he was a playboy. Um, I think there's actually like a streaming service filled with soap opera. Yeah. Oh yeah. There. Well, there's a soap network. Oh, that's right. And they, they have, have a reality a baby- show too, where you follow the stars in real life, and they have My real God. drama. Oh, that sounds so boring. <laughs> that sounds so boring. Uh, so yeah. Anything else you want to add on Death Trap? Uh, watch it. Watch it. Watch it. It is yeah. not a trap. It is not a trap. Watch it. Love it. Love it. Uh, okay, so that's going to be it for this week's episode. Um, like I said, you want to you know, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gmail. We are The Real Appeal. Uh, give us a five-star review on uh, iTunes uh, or on Podbean. You know, we are on shit. You can catch the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Stitcher, other podcast catchers i'd never heard of yeah we're everywhere we're we're all over the place um for next week's episode we are going to be reviewing queen slim and the geriatric cinematic is going to be bonnie and clyde the 1967 version yeah with uh warren baiting and faye dunaway i think it is um i've never seen it i remember seeing like some a little bit of it's funny because my mom was talking about queen and slim and she was like, have you seen Queen and Slim? I was like, no, but we're going to do it on the podcast. And she goes like, that movie's like Bonnie and Clyde. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to do that next week. Uh, but before that episode comes out, you can expect uh, part two of our Star Wars special. Uh, the part two, we will cover Attack of the Clones, The Empire Strikes Back, and The Last Jedi. Um, so stay tuned for that. That will probably drop hopefully next Monday. 
mm-hmm. uh, like I said, before we do our regular episode of the Real Appeal podcast. Um, shout out goes to Lily Wallen. Uh, his band Electric West. You can find him at electricwest.com. Uh, Lee has done our intro and outro uh, for the show. Dude, I had some great work. Yes. Um, I think that's about it. Unless you want to add anything else to it? No. No? You sure? Mm-hmm. You sure? I'm very sure. I'm hyper. All right. You know. Ta-da. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> All right. So from there, we are going to bid you adieu. Mm-hmm. You gonna say bye? Bye. We love you. <laughs> 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 <laughs>